you are a pilot in the military, in the Middle East, okay, highly respected pilot, one of the best fighter pilots in your platoon, you name it, you have very good contacts with the generals, with the colonels there, and all that, right, okay, you're flying an Apache helicopter, okay? And for those who know, an Apache, my God, those things are basically, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, about a billion dollars to manufacture and make. Very, very high-end military technology, at least relative to the surface level, you know, relative to the, what the rest of the world understands and the mainstream media narrative of the most, quote-unquote, advanced military technology. But again, very, very good weaponry. Anyways, you're doing some training routines in the Middle East, okay? Doesn't matter which country. And you see some UFOs. And you've, you've, you've heard things before. You don't get to that position, you know, being in the Air Force and all that without hearing things, right? And you kind of just let it go. You see some Tic Tac UFOs. You see what you think are a couple of TR-3Bs, what have you. But then you see one particular craft. It's a triangle, and then it turns into a disc, all right? Then after a disc, it then turns into a full-on black cube, okay? And then you see the craft literally go and dive into the sand as if it's about to dive into water. Now, you've seen in certain NATO military training routines on the ocean and on, on, on water <clears throat> what these UFOs look like because UFOs are always near NATO training and Russian training uh, military, uh, I guess you could say, apparatuses or uh, routines, if you will. But you've never seen a craft like this not only shapeshift but go into the sand as if it was water. And then on top of that, once the craft goes into the sand, the sand that is being, I guess you could say, that is propelled from the, you know, the impact, actually lifts up into the air, but then it keeps going up, 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 and up. You then report this on record, okay, to your superiors. But then you're visited by someone in a black suit later that day when you're back at the base, and they tell you, listen, you're not going to tell anyone about this, and don't you dare tell this to, to the colonel or to the general in tomorrow's briefing, because they're not in the mood for jokes. And as this person in the, bl in the black suit is telling you this, you're, think you're looking at this person, you're going, is this guy human? Like, for some reason, that question comes to your head. The second you think of that question, that person's skin, that it, or that being's skin, goes from a sort of pale white look to more of a dark sort of purple tone, if you will. That person's eyes turn blue, and then all of a sudden, they look you in the eye, and they just walk out of the room. You know, you don't know anything to do after that. Now, I give that example because we're going to come full circle very shortly with that. With that being said, before I jump into it, I do want to give a couple of shout outs because I'm really trying to get uh, back into the shout outs to show the appreciation and gratefulness and, and how humbled we are for, you know, the uh, the way in which the show has been growing. So I cannot thank you uh, enough. We have many people that want shout outs, so I'm going to be doing a handful at a time. So first off, I would like to thank Wyatt. Brother, thank you so very much. I'd also like to give a special thank you to Mark Steves. Mark, you know why I'm saying thank you, brother, for many different reasons. And of course, Paul, thank you so much, sir, for the back and forth exchange we've had via email and a couple of other things. Now, let's jump right into it. Today's episode is called The Sigma Umbra Tether, Alchemizing the Monster Study to Elicit Elixir Sacred Science. Now, we're going to break that down very strongly and fundamentally. Let's jump right into it. So, Let's take a look right here. Sigma Octantis, okay, according to Wikipedia, and I quote, Sigma Octantis, officially named Polaris Australis, is the current south star. Its apparent position near the southern celestial pole makes it the pole star of the southern hemisphere. This is a solitary star in the southern circumpolar constellation of Octans, located approximately 294 light years from Earth. It is classified as a giant star with a spectrotype of F0 one one one. 
It is a delta scuti variable with its average magnitude of 5.47, varying by about 0.03 magnitudes every 2.33 hours, end quote. Interesting that as it varies, however... <clears throat> Again, they're going to say on a public level, when I say they, I'm re referring to the institutions relative to the public academia of things, they're going to very simply say, oh, well, you know, it's unproven, we can't figure it out. But it's interesting that this is relative in the same direct uh, direction, excuse me, to that of the southern celestial pole that all intelligent satellites can't even understand, can't even watch or even view, at least according to them. Now, there may be certain subcompartments within that of the irrespective rogue shadow government that have access to these satellites. But again, we know this because if we take a look at electrospaces.net, and yes, by the way, folks, like I said, we're jumping right into it. NSA still uses the Umbra compartment for highly sensitive intercepts. Three days ago on July 5th, 2014, and again, this has been scrubbed everywhere now, the Washington Post published some of the most important stories from the Snowden leak so far. Okay, take a look at this right here. Here, we will take a look at a remarkable detail from two slides that were also discovered in the Post article. The classification marking these slides contains the code word Umbra, which was generally considered to be abolished in 1999, but now seems to be still in use. After going through several options, my conclusion is that Umbra is most likely the codename of a so-called unpublished SCI control program. Okay, now, here's what's interesting as well too. Umbra stands for the most sensitive material. Spoke stands for less sensitive material relative to the codenames of top secret classifications in the NSA, and Moray for the least sensitive material. Now again, we have some pictures, if we scroll down here, of the instances showcasing and documenting Umbra as the classification of certain secretive codes and what you, and you name it. Now, here's what's equally as interesting that I want to point out. Umbra has a direct subset of funding relative to Raytheon that seems to be funding through a back-end form okay, of financial uh, accounting via a subsidiary of the IRS that connects directly to Project Mannequin. And for those who don't know what Project Mannequin is, for the sake of time, because there's so much to cover here, I very strongly encourage you folks to check out Project Mannequin in a previous episode. With that being said, the next thing is, what is the monster study, okay? According to Wikipedia, the monster study or monster test was a stuttering experiment performed on 22 orphan children in Davenport, Iowa in 1939. It was conducted by Wendell Johnson at the University of Iowa, okay? It was dubbed the monster study as some of Johnson's peers were horrified that he would experiment on orphan children to confirm a hypothesis, which he ended up doing, by the way. This is how they sort of cover it up with fancy lingo, even though this is not a conspiracy. It's right out in the open, and even then it's, ah, well, you know, you see how they worded like this, folks? on the surface level anyways the experiment was kept hidden for fear johnson's reputation will be tarnished in the wake of human experiments conducted by the nazis during world war ii because the results of the study were never published in any peer-reviewed journal Tudor's thesis is the only official record of the details of the experiment, end quote. Now, if we take a look at the University of Iowa where the study was conducted, okay, they, they apologize for the monster study. But interestingly enough, if you look at the details, folks, the University of Iowa also just so happened to be the same university where a handful of Operation Paperclip professors went to go. Now, I'm not trying to accuse, okay, I'm not trying to accuse Mr. Wendell Johnson of being a Nazi. What I'm saying here, though, is that that indirect influence with respects to the way in which certain experiments were disseminated through a sort of nink-nink, uh, sorry, hint-hint, nudge-nudge 
sort of implication as we see within mainstream media uh, apparatuses today in terms of pushing a certain narrative could have been there applied there as well. We cannot factor that out. Now, if we take a look over here at CVLTNation.com, the monster study, how doctors tortured orphans in the name of medicine. Now, we I don't need to explain to you folks about, you know, the torturing and how they justified and things like this. But take a look at this. And I quote, this was a woman by the name of Mary Korlarsk remembers that she had thought her sessions with Tudor were sponsored by the university to help her speak better. She had also hoped to... Uh, to, that the pretty graduate student would become her new mom. As her speech worsened, her behavior changed. Now, this is the, the connection I'm trying to bring full circle here, folks. She remembers other orphans teasing her. Hey, Mary, what's g going on? Furious, she would strike out pummeling with her fists. She was always fighting kids. She didn't like to be made fun of, end quote. Now, I, the reason I resemble that in a vocal expression is to sort of give context of what these individuals were going through. What we're win witnessing there, folks, is a crypto-terrestrial insertion, okay, within a handful of the subjects that were experimented on relative to the mental gang stalking that was occurring within some of these individuals. How do we know this? Well, if we take a look right over here at wikipedia.org, what we'll see here, this is thanks to Cloud Dragon, by the way. Thank you so much, brother. Anxiety buffer disruption theory, and I quote, is an application of terror management theory to explain an individual's reaction to a traumatic event, which leads to PTSD, right? Terror management theory possess, uh, proposes that humans, unlike any other organism, are uniquely aware that death is inevitable, is the inevitable outcome of life. When thoughts of death are made salient, such as when a terrorist attack carries those thoughts into the level of consciousness, humans are subject to debilitating anxiety unless it can be buffered. Okay? Now, humans respond to the anxiety and dread, mortality salience produces by clinging to their cultural worldview through self-esteem and also close personal relationships, end quote. Essentially, this has to do with sort of that cognitive dissonance gap of trying to live in the moment rather than constantly being anxious and worried about upcoming events and things like this. Now, you might be saying, Dave, what does this have to do with anything relative to searching for, if you will, the sort of tether apparatus of alchemizing, okay, the monster study? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's take a look at this right over here, okay? MIT according to futurism.com. And members will know, again, very recently, we covered in the Zoom calls and in recent episodes, certain instances pertaining to MIT. MIT establishes new initiative to meld humans and machines. Quote, the world profoundly needs relief from the disabilities imposed by today's non-existent or broken technologies. End quote. Now, I want to make something very clear. Alchemy, de allegedly, derived from the Arabian phrase alchemia, which refers to the preparation of the stone or the preparation of elixir by the Egyptians, okay? This was considered to be ancient esoteric science, if you will, right? With that being said, take a look at this right over here. And I quote, the Kalisa Yang Center for Bionics, again, Bionics, I'm you know, we got to be careful here relative to what, you know, the members we showed on Patreon and with MIT, with Lockheed Martin, anyways. The Kalisa Yang Center for Bionics has been established thanks to a $24 million donation from philanthropist Lisa Yang, according to an MIT announcement, end quote. Now, not trying to slander Mrs. Yang, but again, you see philanthropy, it's not what you think it is, okay? And we'll be covering that in, up, in an upcoming members episode relative to some of the revelations that have occurred recently. Now, the new research center, okay, will fall under the leadership of MIT media lab professor Hugh Herr, who is a double amputee himself and has come to be known as a leader in the field of robotic prosthetics. In the MIT announcement, Hearst said that he sees this new initiative as an important step towards eliminating physical disabilities altogether, end quote. Now, folks, 
on the fundamental principle and basis of all of this. I could not agree more, but I'm going to direct you folks to something that's going to make a very strong connection that's really going to make all of us think. Let's take a look at this video, uh, sorry, sorry, not video, this image right here, okay? This is a side-by-side -side shot of a computer circuit board design and a... <clears throat> An ancient, uh, I guess you could say city, town, canyon, structure, if you will, um, or, or megalith in Pueblo Bonita in Chaco Canyon, New Mexico. While visiting Chaco Canyon, my husband and I were perplexed by the very small square cubicles with high walls. It made no sense that people would actually live in these cells. Research confirmed that 10 massive buildings with a total of over 3,000 rooms not intended for residential use were built in a 250-year time period. Okay, now the question becomes, was this a transport facility? Well, again, this is relative, to, relative, excuse me, to understanding the anxiety and stresses that occurred during the monster study. Why do I say that now? This is going to get a little bit controversial, but just bear with me. I'm not saying this as if it is fact. I am proposing what we're seeing here based on the evidence coming forward. Now, if we take a look, for example, at the MIT Bionics donation, that grant, 24 million, we're going to dive a little more into that with respects to the Patreon members episode because there's only so much I could say publicly. However, at the same time, what we're going to notice is that it's very possible children, very similar to that of the monster study, excuse me, were placed inside of these cells, cubicles, you name it, okay, in order to transport them from this planet to another planet. Not saying it's for a bad reason. I'm really not trying to fear monger, but at the same time, if we don't cover this, then who will? Right. And so this could have been a bat, not just for children, not just for what we would argue, you know, we define today as being, you know, child or human trafficking, if you will, not just for that, but also for superior leaders within said culture to be able to communicate with these beings and for these beings to go back and forth as well. But notice something. It looks very similar to a computer circuit board design consistent with Colonel Philip Corso saying the integrated circuit came from reverse engineering at Roswell. I am sure, again, with Russia's project ISIS, with the, you know, the search for ancient uh, history and esoteric knowledge and all that relative to Leonid, Leonid Ivashov's book, there is much more to it than simply Roswell, Roswell, Roswell. With that being said, though, look at how some of the larger, uh, I guess you could say circles, cubicles, um, you know, you name it, are placed not just relative to a circuit board, okay, but also relative to the positioning within said culture of a structural hierarchy of power. Okay, interesting that if you keep the same energetic format that one culture or ancient tribe or community has from a social hierarchy level, you can then integrate that in synchronicity with that of alchemy for certain modes and methods of teleportation and for pulling and pushing time to uh, uh, towards you or away from you as we covered in the previous episode. Now take a look. And I quote, Michael Tellinger recently presented the most fascinating theory that ancient sites were built as giant energy production complexes like the schematics of computer circuit boards. Many megalithic and sacred ancient sites are fractal patterns of modern technology. As you study the aerial photos, notice that there are channels connecting the various components. End quote. Interestingly enough, too, if we take a look at the way in which allegedly some of these regalion species tend to feed using, again, I have to be very careful relative to what I can say here, tend to feed off of certain um, liquids of individuals that I can't really say because of YouTube, sadly, we're going to notice a consistency here. And how do we know that? Well, let's take a look at the shiftnetwork.com. Delve deep into the ancient Toltec dream tradition of Mesoamerica and its dream states, practices, and symbols to create and navigate the life of your dreams. Now, the Toltec culture, which was around, or society, which was around long before the Mayans, believed that we were living in a waking dream state. Now, here's the interesting thing as well. The language of Latin, of English, 
The derivatory language in which Latin produced limits the energetic capabilities that allow for us to transcend and understand not only that of the, desi the design of things that we now know to be circuit boards, but if we invert that, we can see and we can envision that us living in a dream state may allow us to access other, I guess you could say dream states, dimensions, whatever you want to call it. Again, the, the, the language of Latin and English has really, really created a very strong spiritual dissonance, if you will, okay? Now, going back to the example I gave at the beginning about the sand raising up, what you're seeing there, folks, is an intermeshment and a, um, I guess you could say um, a, a conflation, if you will. Now, let me give you a quick analogy or a visual example. Think of a, a, a computer tower, a computer tower, right? And it has a um, a handful of, uh, of chip inserts that you can put chips into, right? We, living in this dimension or this dream state, if you will, according to the Toltecs, this is consistent with what I've said actually six, seven months ago. We are living only in one dream state because only one chip is inserted. Only one memory card is put into that computer. You see what I'm saying? What happens if you put multiple memory cards? What you then have is the revelation, not only on a visual level, but on a conscious level within the zero point field to access the other dimensions with your own body. You don't need anything else. You wouldn't. You really wouldn't, right? And ultimately, that makes sense. I'm not saying I'm right as if it's fact, but it makes sense because if we take a look at the way in which multiple whistleblowers, scientists, contractors have claimed that when we dropped the nuclear bomb on Hiroshima, very sadly, it created a ripple in other dimensions and did more damage in other dimensions than here. Okay, now let's take a look at inverse.com. Hexagons are as close as science gets to magic. Huh. Interesting that the timing of all this is coming out now. Believers in sacred geometry ascribe power and significance to naturally occurring shapes. They, seem, they see them as evidence of organization, likely by a higher power. Okay, now, within this small group, there is a smaller group obsessed with hexagons. Phrases like transcendental hexagonal future get tossed around. End quote. Now, why do I bring up this particular article? Take a look. On Saturn's North Pole, there's an enduring cloud formation. Here's a close-up. It's a hexagon. Now, for those that are members, if you take a look at some of the footage, allegedly from the you know mid to late 80s, of what the backside of Mars looks like, backside relative to the way in which our direction of Earth is, is, is angled at Mars, there's hexagonal bases. Why does the honeycomb hexagonal sort of structure seem to be reoccurring over and over again? Interestingly enough, let's look at this. The debrief.org. New discovery on the strangest exoplanet ever found has astronomers puzzled. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Strangest one ever found. Oh yeah. And I'm again, not trying to insult the scientists that are doing great public work on the surface level, but take a look at this right here. Astronomers have detected clouds on a gas giant exoplanet about 520 light years from Earth. Using data acquired from multiple telescopes, these scientists gathered observations so detailed that astonishingly, they also discerned the altitude of the clouds as well as the structure of the upper atmosphere. And quote, now, you're going to notice a decrease in the amount of sodium that was found and things like this. This, te technically speaking, goes against the fundamental and principalistic standards of that relative to what the public domain of science and physics understands. How do we know this? Just refer back to my uh, long-form conversation with Bruce Fenton where he said that there were pancakes being made within a certain UFO craft that an abductee was being fed in a very friendly manner, okay, but there was no sodium in the pancakes. And it's, 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 it's incredible because all of a sudden, you know, that pancake, it just went missing. The person was able to take some of that food off the UFO craft with them. I know it sounds crazy, but again, it's a way in which some of these more, I guess you could say, positively oriented or, you know, uh, uh, benevolent extraterrestrials may in fact want to um, uh, interact with us, if you will. Now, 
take a look at this right over here nosphere.princeton.edu the global consciousness project meaningful correlations in random data take a look excuse me take a look at this right over here folks take a look at the map in the way in which there's certain locations seem to have global consciousness connecting all right in a mass level relative to those that i guess you could say are i don't i, I don't know how i would use the term i i guess you could say waking up if you will but if you take a look does this not seem similar to the subterranean global network map right does this not also seem similar to the way okay in which ley lines are allegedly being demagnetized you see what I'm saying here, folks? Now, take a look at this, and I quote, When human consciousness becomes coherent, the behavior of random systems may change. Random number generators, or RNGs, based on quantum tunneling, produce completely unpredictable sequences of zeros and ones. Okay, end quote. Interesting, quantum tunneling. Does that not also remind us? Again, members will know much better about the footage having to do in Peru with those, um, if I'm not mistaken, those construction workers working in a certain canyon, the sand coming up and down as if it's breathing. It was either Peru or Chile. Please forgive me. I can't recall off the top of my head. But that's also why I gave the example at the beginning of when you see as a pilot that in, in an Apache helicopter, the UFO come into the ground and then the sand comes up and keeps going up, Right. Now, take a look at this right here, and I quote, But when a great event synchronizes the feelings of millions of people, our network, okay, of random number generators becomes subtly structured. We calculate one in a trillion odds that the effect is due to chance. The evidence suggests an emerging nosphere or the unifying field of consciousness described by sagas in all cultures, end quote. Why do you think the elites on the surface level do not want us to come together in large numbers? It's as simple as that. An unpredictable sequences of zeros and ones. But when a great event synchronizes the feelings of millions of people, our network becomes subtly structured. The odds of that being, you know, random, one in a trillion. It's possible that it's, it's random, but you're telling me, I mean, it would certainly explain 9-11. It would certainly explain what just recently happened in Afghanistan. God rest the souls of the people who passed away there. You know, it certainly would. Now, interestingly enough, take a look at this right over here. This is johnkeel.com, the androids and truth. And again, this goes back to the latter part of my example at the beginning pertaining to the man in black with the skin changing, the eyes changing, you name it. Now take a look at this right over here. This right here, okay, has to do with John Keel's a private file of his conclusions about the UFO puzzle as of 1967. In this part, he considers the androids habit of lying to contactees, their dependence on orders from higher up, and other curious aspects of their behavior. Now take a look at this right here. In recent months, there's been a sharp increase in interest in UFOs on college campuses throughout the country. There are definite reasons for this. College students everywhere have become silent contactees and have been directly involved in the androids' experiments. Rumors of all kinds have swept through classrooms and students have formed UFO study groups in an effort to track down some of these, ru um, some of these rumors. Okay, now, the androids claim that they have arrived three years too soon and therefore they are being as secretive as possible. The anti-UFO policies of the Air Force and the government are actually a part of their overall plan. They have gone through considerable trouble to make their activities appear to be hoaxes and nonsense and they have busily silenced many witnesses in many different ways. It is against their interests to reveal themselves publicly. 
Okay, now here's what's interesting as well too. I discovered early in this situation that the androids deliberately passed on false information and contrived hoax-like situations to lend confusion and engineer disbelief. They have developed involved and subtle techniques which indicate that their leaders understand our psychology even though the androids themselves are puzzled by us. The androids blindly follow the pre-programmed plan and it has worked admirably well. Each new contactee is given a new set of facts and explanations, which usually contradict the material given to other contactees. Again, end quote. Very, very subtle form of the Orion. I'm not saying it as, as if it's a fact, but again, the evidence ties back to the Orion Dracos breeding these type of hybrids within the deep underground military bases, which would explain the constant cover-ups and telepathic abilities in which they control, harness, and understand. Now, with that being said, the question then becomes, okay, Dave, if we take, if we go back to the monster study of the children to elicit a your sacred science what is the end game what's the goal and i would i would say folks you know i agree with you because if i didn't answer that myself what would be the point of this episode right (laughs) so the end game ultimately is to create a cognitive dissonance within that of the the world propaganda elite system which has already been happening all around us except it is going to happen at a spiritual level hence the revelations within that of quantum healing not so much as quantum computing again Interesting how quantum computing is okay, but quantum healing is not, right? We'll be going into that a little bit more in the upcoming members episode just because of some of the things that we get banned for saying here publicly now. Interestingly enough, take a look at this quote right here by, ironically enough, Richard Nixon, quote, the nation's immediate, a few years after resigning as president, he wrote, the nation's immediate problem is that while the common man fights America's wars, the intellectual elite sets its agenda. Today, whether the West lives or dies is in the hands of its new power elite. Those who set the terms of public debate, who manipulate the symbols, who decide whether nations or leaders will be depicted on a hundred million television sets as good or bad. This power elite sets the limits of the possible for president and congress it molds the impressions that move the nation or that myra end quote is this not consistent with what dr uh, eric davis uh, said in that alleged you know deleted interview with i believe mr green street over there uh, if i'm not mistaken please forgive me if i didn't say his name correctly about how within the rogue government there's sort of just certain rules that are unwritten you just know what not what to say what to say there's a wink wink nudge nudge sort of allegiance to one another rather than an allegiance to the country or to the hierarchical structure in, in, relative to the positions in which they've been assigned it's the same concept it's the same reoccurring i guess you could say ideology right now take a look at this right here cypost.org psilocybin induces rapid and persistent growth of neural connections in the brain's frontal cortex study finds okay now take a look at this right here and i quote yale scientists again members notice yale Yale, Stanford, Harvard, Oxford, right? Yale scientists have found that a single dose of psilocybin given to mice induces a rapid and long-lasting increase in connections between pyramidal neurons in the medial frontal cortex, an area of the brain to be involved in control and decision-making. Their new findings are published in the journal Neuron, end quote. Pyramidal neurons. Ionizing air pockets. Okay, you see the connection here, folks? The ionized air pockets, as of very recently I've discovered, are that in which are of triangular and circular and square, cubicle-like shapes. Interesting, isn't it? How those same shapes re- keep reoccurring. We could reference Walter Russell's universal one. We can, heck, we can even reference the example, the metaphorical example I gave in the beginning of the craft shape-shifting because it's not that it's just a made-up example. I'm basing it off of all these sightings and footage that we have on our Patreon where you see 
where you see the craft going from a cigar-shaped craft to a disc-shaped craft to a cube-square-based craft to a triangle-based shape. Again, folks, this is exactly what's happening here. Now, I'd love to delve more into sort of the... um. I guess you could say the monster study revelations and connections, but I can't really do that without getting in trouble or at least having the attempt of YouTube trying to censor us. Now, the final thing I'd like to cover, this is again, thanks to Cloud Dragon. Brother, thank you so much, is this right here. Laser ignition device and its application to forestry, fire, and land management. Now, if you were to use Daikonin, okay, if you go back a few episodes, we covered that. If you were to use Daikonin and take Daikonin and put it on a, I guess you could say a drone, you know, like not, it doesn't have to be a military drone, but a simple drone that you can fly, right? And you put Daikonin over the lens. You know what you're going to find if you try it? You're going to find hexagonal shapes all over the places in which forest fires have interestingly occurred relative, not to the world, but to the West. Interesting, right? Why? That substantiates our document right over here. Take a look at this. Michael D. Waterworth, a laser ignition device for controlled burning of forest logging slash has been developed and successfully tested. The device, which uses a kilowatt class carbon dioxide laser, operates at distances of 50 to 1500 meters. Acquisition and focus control are achieved by the use of a laser rangefinder and acquisition telescope. Additional uses for the device include backburning, selected undergrowth removal, safe ignition of oil spills, and dicing. A truck-mounted version will be operational by fall 1987 and an airborne version by summer 1988, end quote. Okay, now... What I'm saying, folks, is I'm not trying to imply that all the forest fires we see today are pre-planned, but I gotta be honest with you, folks... When you see documents like this, it makes you think, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Freedom of speech, freedom of thought, okay? Now, take a look at the top of this article. Look. Pacific Southwest Forest and Range Experiment Station Forest Service, U.S. Department of Agriculture, 1987, as we just read as well, too. This was in 87, folks. The controlled acquisition of that relative to the apparatuses and programs of the NSA, of Project Mannequin, of NORAD, all encompass a tether manifestation that essentially creates, I guess if you could say, um, how can I put this, um, an esoteric bond between some of the exoplanets that seem to be very depraved of sodium, as we saw recently earlier in the article we covered, and other gaseous elements that seem to make up, you know, what most exoplanets are supposed to have. There is an encompassing operation and apparatus that is occurring, and there are multiple factions in battle for the control of this type of apparatus. What apparatus is it? It is the alchemization of ancient esoteric knowledge, because what happens on this planet affects the rest of the the universe, not just the galaxy, the universe. And that is why, whether they like it or not, certain extraterrestrial species are vying for the control in which there is an allowance of certain elemental procedures to take place. With that being said, folks, I know this is a lot to take in. Please forgive me if I was a little bit scattered. There was just so much to cover. And we'll catch all of you very, very soon. Cheers.